Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Woohoo, Bonnie D. in the house. Happy to be here. Have we got a hot topic for you today? I might even say it's a hot potato, but we're going to be careful how we handle that hot potato. Very happy to be here. It's February, what? 16th, 2022. Thank you to Ryan Treasure, the voice of my intro. He's the executive VP our broadcast operations of Voice America Radio. We're talking about algorithms today. Oh my, I have three esteemed guests. We're going to share their predictions and see what we all come up with in terms of, here's the topic, the future of algorithms and AI. Whose bias is it anyway? Oh my. Let me give you a little background here. We all know algorithms are buzzing all around us. You may not know that, but it's true. But exactly what are they? Where are they? And how will they continue to impact each of us for good? for not so good, or even for really bad. There, I said it. We might get into some judgments here. Number one buzz from Amazon. There's a book called Words Used by Programmers When They Don't Want to Explain What They Did. And what's the word? Algorithm. That's the title of the book. I was surprised to see that. Now I have a quote from TowardDataScience.com. Listen up. What is an algorithm? It's a set of step-by-step procedures or a set of rules to follow for completing a specific task or solving a particular problem. The world, does anybody know how far back? My guess, I haven't introduced you yet, how far back the word algorithm, when was it coined? Anybody know? Anybody have Ninth an idea? Century. Oh. That's right, ninth century. It was a Persian mathematician whose Latinized name was algorithmi. How about that? Today, algorithms determine things like the people you meet on Tinder or any other dating site, we don't judge here, how, how a system will recognize your face to open a keyless door, how you might even get fired from your job when, I don't know, your productivity drops or something else says, we don't want this person anymore. Algorithms are used to make decisions on health, on employment, education, financial and criminal sentencing. Yes, shock and amazement. Who gets a job interview? Who gets a donor organ? Now we're talking really serious stuff. Or how an autonomous car reacts in a dangerous situation. Again, that's from Towards Data Science. I have a quote from Eli Pariser, an author, activist, and entrepreneur, executive director of MoveOn.org. He says, the algorithms that orchestrate our ads are starting to orchestrate our lives. You all know what kind of ads pop up. You go looking for a, a dress or a coffee maker or something, and that's going to be mostly what you see for the next 20 years. I have one more quote before I get my guests to introduce themselves. We often forget, very important, that algorithms have been created by humans. Everybody on my panel, raise your hand. Are you still a human? Yes? We're got, good. Uh, me too. Humans who selected the data and trained the algorithm. That's what we're talking about. Human-sourced bias inevitably creeps into AI models, and a result, algorithms do what they do. They reinforce human prejudices. I always said that it goes back to that person who set up that formula, set up that algorithm. Here's an example. The Google Images search for the term CEO produced 11% women, okay, but 27% of U.S. chief executives are women. So it only gave you 11, but 
there, there's your bias. Biased AI can have serious life alternating, altering consequences for people. So the importance is to understand when and in what form bias can impact the data and the algorithms. I want to have my guests raise your hands when I call your name. I'm so happy to see all of you. Jim Stern, hello. There you are. Jason Shepard, say hi. There he is. And Eric Simone. Hi, Eric. Eric's been on with me before, and it's a pleasure to meet Jim and Jason. So let's get this party started. Everybody say hello to LinkedIn. Hi, LinkedIn. Come on. Hello, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. There you go. And Facebook, too. I had to add that. So Jim Stern, I'm going to put you on speaker view. You've been warned. Would you please take a couple minutes and introduce yourself? Who are you? What do you do? I see your title is your company is Target Marketing. Talk to me, Jim Stern. Welcome. Thank you very much. You're going to give me a whole two minutes. I'm, three, I'm honored. Three, three, three. three minutes. Oh, yes. well, in that case, I was born a small child. Then the dinosaurs came. And- that's right. That's right. Um, I first job out of school was selling Apple IIEs out of a retail store, explaining to people what a computer is. Uh, then I sold business computers to companies that had never owned a computer before. Then I sold software development tools to enterprise and government. Uh, became a marketing executive, uh, helping smaller companies with trade show booths and brochures and advertising and magazines. And then in April of 1993, I saw Mosaic for the first time and said, oh, wait a minute, that changes marketing. And I ran around and I found a webmaster at IBM, a webmaster at HP, and a webmaster at Sun Microsystems and said, what is your online marketing strategy? And they all said, well, I don't know. What did the other guy say? And I discovered what it means to be a consultant. You ask a lot of questions and then you start writing books. So 12 books in on online marketing. Latest one is Artificial Intelligence in Marketing, Practical Applications. Wow, very, very interesting. I I heard the definition of a consultant with somebody who lives very far away and charges a lot of money and shows yeah. up once in a while. But writing, I'm sorry, I hope I didn't offend you, Jim. But you know what? Writing books is very, I didn't know that was part of it. Are you self-published? Where can people find your books? No, uh, on Amazon, uh, John Wiley and Sons. Uh, I said, where is your book on online marketing? And they said, we don't have one. Do you think you could write it? So that got me started on the the book trail. Um, In the year 2002, I published web metrics about online analytics and started a conference, the Marketing Analytics Summit in 2002, that is still going today. Uh, Next one's coming up in the end of February, the end of this month, online and then in person in June. The audience from the Marketing Analytics Summit created the Digital Analytics Association, now about 5,000 members and going strong. I That's wish you kept busy. I wish you found a way to keep busy, Jim. I, I don't know. It yeah, sounds like you got a lot boring. of free time. I'm, yeah. I'm impressed. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Jason Shepard, I met you for the first time today as well. So happy to have you here. Would you, and uh, shout out to um, our friend Don Deloach, our, our mutual friend. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Jason, he's a good friend of the show. Jason, would you please introduce, you get the same Three and a half minutes that Jim got. I don't want to skimp here. No favors. <laughs> sure. Go ahead, Jason. First, I'll say, so I live in Austin, uh, um, as does Eric, and uh, they just give all this music stuff to you when you move here. It's like, hey, take some guitars, you know, take some whatever. Like, you know, Austin's a big movie town, so, or music town. But um, So I've been doing tech for a long time. My motto is, if, if it's fuzzy, I'm on it. 
uh, I always find myself on the, the f emerging front end of new technology. Um, I actually started as a mechanical engineer. I was, I went to UT here in Austin and stayed in Austin. And um, over the years, purposely got more and more into uh, the software side of things, as well as um, kind of the business side. Um, you know, I, I like to triangulate between engineering and, and um, you know, kind of the sales and marketing side, do a lot of media outreach and you know, blogging and stuff like that. And um, so lots of different types of projects over the years. I, I worked at, at Dell out of school and then I was in startups for a little while, went back to Dell um, and was there actually for 13 years, but uh, always was kind of on the front end of new emerging technologies uh, in the CTO org. Started uh, the IoT um, business there in 2014. We're like, what do we want to do with this buzzword IoT? Um, and Bonnie, we might have met back then, like when you were with SAP. Like, I'm, I think I was on the coffee uh, break show. Coffee break? It's yeah, very possible. Then. Well, then I will say officially, it's nice to see yeah. you again. <laughs> it's so awesome. go on. You still got uh, another minute to your bio. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah. So, so kind of grew up through the, through that. First, it was IoT, then Edge. Um, back then, we started a project called EdgeX Foundry, which is around IoT and operability. Um, that's now a, a global project. Uh, so I've gotten pretty familiar with how to work in open source and different industry consortia and. Um, left Dell as CTO for Edge and IoT, uh, Dell Technologies and joined Zadita about two years ago. Uh, it got to the point where, you know, I wanted to get back into startups and it got to the point where any of my thought leadership blogs, you could replace Dell with Zadita and it would read the same uh, in terms of the vision that we were building for the, the long term. And so uh, joined, uh, joined and, and uh, it's been great, you know, being back at a startup and you know, we're having fun. So I've also known you know, Eric for, for quite some time. So Good. that's me. I have to ask Zedita, Z-E-D-E-D-A, what, where, how, why, what does it mean? And I, I always forget this. Um, it's Moroccan. Uh, Saeed, uh, our, uh, our CEO, is, is Moroccan, and so, but I forget what it stands for. It is, it is Zedita. Um, people say Zedita, potato, potato, but I always think if it's like, there was like a Run DMC song called My Zedita. Uh, <laughs> thinking of my Sharona, but that's another one entirely. <laughs> oh, 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 thank you very much. Be before the end of the show, can you find out what it means and tell us, please? I will. I would appreciate it. I mean, that. we just talked about it the other day, and I, I, yeah. That's okay. As long as you can spell it and pronounce it, that's good enough for me. That's fine. And Eric, Simone, so happy to see you here. It's been a couple months since you were on, and I'm yeah. happy to see you also, good friend of Don Deloach. Eric, I won't ask you to introduce yourself from scratch, but I'll ask you to yeah. refresh our memory. What have you been up to? Give us some basics on ClearBlade and go ahead, Eric, welcome sure, back. Sure. So I'm CEO at ClearBlade, the company uh, started in 2007 to focus on IoT and edge computing. I met Jason uh, early on when he was at Dell. Jason's going to think I'm insane. I now live in the Chicago area, oh. no longer in Austin. Yeah, so our, our company's based in Austin, Texas. Um, we focus on software and specifically intelligent assets. So it's a way to deliver things like edge and AI and IoT to the masses, to, to business people instead of nerds like us, right? I'm a, you know, my background is I'm a 55-year-old nerd that never grew up. At the end of the day, I started my career at IBM doing mainframe air traffic control programming in the late 80s. I worked at Johns Hopkins, did a stint in the Bay Area, my first startup. It's now a big public company called Perficient. And um, decided to get back in the game. And I'll tell you what, it's the most exciting time right now around edge and IoT. 
And Clearblade is, is really helping to deliver this stuff in a way that doesn't make it so technical, right? Let's get the, let's get the value out of this stuff and put it in the hands of the people that need it. So we're based still in Austin, Texas. So I get to go down every month and dethaw, right? And <laughs> <laughs> go visit my team. I've got a bunch of folks up here in Chicago. We do a lot uh, in the transportation industry. So rail, one of the reasons I'm up here, uh, we work with oil and gas. Uh, we work with um, uh, industrial products. We work with agriculture, really cross industry, uh, but just a way to accelerate um, how you deliver these experiences. And AI is a big part of what we do. So uh, I'm fascinated with the topic. I get a little bit smarter every day, like a AI, AI algorithm, right? I get a little bit smarter. <laughs> Uh, I try to not use my biases in the wrong way. And uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion today. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, two things. Number one, I want to welcome our sponsor. We have a sponsor today, NordVPN, and I'll be doing a little blurb on them and making an offer that you all might want to take advantage of around the middle of the show in about another 15 minutes. And gentlemen, I'm a nerd too. So there. Jason, Eric may remember Jim and, and Jason. Jason probably doesn't. Jim doesn't know me, but I'm considered an early woman in tech. No, I wasn't in Grace Hopper's era, but I was a programmer analyst when that was something with a slash between uh, working in, uh, where was I first? Uh, the state of Oregon for the community college division. And I was receiving my instructions on how to create the programs for this whole community college division from a gentleman in Salem, Oregon, who would call me up on the phone. He'd say, Bonnie, get out a legal pad and take a pencil and a ruler, draw a line across the top, line down the left, Jason knows. And he said, these five columns across and these five on the bottom, and these are the formulas, and this is what the report has to do, go program it. And they paid me, in addition to my job, through... I call it a slush fund from the community colleges to be my own contractor on the weekend. So I would write 2,000 lines of COBOL on the weekend. This is key punch days, guys. Come in and key punch it on Monday, have it up and running in production by Monday at noon. And then eventually they paid me to be the contractor for my job. Eventually I took over the whole role. And this was right out of two years of community college after my bachelor's degree in psychology. I have what's called an eclectic educational background. So there you are. Oh, you Early woman. today. For oh. a lot of money per hour of cobalt I, programming. And I still have the book and I still have green bar paper here. Can you believe <laughs> that? I was the one of the kickoff speakers for the Women in Big Data on Women's uh, Women's International Women's Day on March 8th, 2021. I was very honored and I showed them pictures of what the old computer rooms look like and my cobalt book and the ha handwritten notes on the green bar paper with the core dumps. They were fascinated. I said, what planet do you come from? I said, no, it's just another millennium. What can I tell you? So gentlemen, let's get going with the quotes at you all. We're so kind i asked you to send a quote from a movie or a tv fictional character or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic and you all stepped up wonderfully jim stern has sent us a quote from the wizard played by frank morgan long ago and far away the wizard of oz 1939 american musical fantasy film and he played professor marvel the gatekeeper the carriage driver the guard and the wizard of oz i wonder if he was paid at scale for five roles. <laughs> I don't know. That's uh, By the way, it won for Best Original Song for Over the Rainbow and Best Original Score by Herbert Stothert. And according to the Library of Congress, The Wizard of Oz is the most seen film in movie history. Did you know that, Jim? I and did not. Listen to this. It's ranked on the British Film Institute's 2005 Top 10 list of 50 films to be seen by the age of 14. 
I didn't even know there was a list like that. Here's the quote. We love it. It's great. And you're going to take about two and a half minutes and uh, take the whole three to explain what in the world it has to do with our topic, AI algorithms and bias. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. That's when Toto moved the curtain, pulled it apart, pulled it over little Dorothy's little dog and revealed a little old man behind the curtain who's talking into a microphone. Welcome, wizard. Jim, what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. The people who are writing the algorithms who want you to believe in their efficacy would rather you did not look at the humanity behind the algorithms as in the bias built into the data. And when you do pull the curtain back, sure enough, there's humans there. Um, it, it, as you had mentioned, the, the bias is evident. Um, Amazon has another story about that, which is uh, when they had an algorithm look at all the resumes that were coming, thousands of resumes a week, uh, a day. And they said, only show humans the resumes of people who are the most likely to succeed. It's like definition of success, please. Oh, uh, had most promotions, been with the company the longest, most successful projects, best 360 degree reviews, uh, biggest projects, etc. And the answer was old white men. Whoa. And sure enough, that's just what happened to be true. So bias baked into the data, you've got this amazing system that is the big giant orb with the flames on either side of it. But when you look at the man behind the curtain, yeah, he's just a carny from Kansas. Oh, <laughs> but a very powerful one who happened to be the core of a very popular movie. We, we liked that idea, didn't The fact that the movie has resonated for decades and, and almost a century, people like that idea of a man behind the curtain, that wizard, that mystery of who was creating all of this. Very interesting. I think we still love that fantasy aspect. Thank you, Jim. Jason Shepard has sent us a quote, and I found a t-shirt with the quote on it. I hope you saw that in my notes, Jason. I don't usually do that for my guests. It's from Lane Meyer, character played by John Cusack, spoken to Ricky, played by Dan Schneider, in the movie Better Off Dead, 1985 American surrealist black comedy film. And Lane is a teen, they said a teen and a high school student, I think that's uh, redundant, with a peculiar family and a bizarre fixation with his girlfriend Beth. When she dumps him, he decides to kill himself, making bumbling attempts at suicide. Outside of these endeavors, he spends time with his oddball buddy Charles and befriends Monique, a visiting French student who's an auto mechanic and a skier. Let's just leave that alone. Here's the quote. Gee, I'm really sorry your mom blew up, Ricky. I have no idea what that means. Jason, we love conundrum quotes. You got to explain. What does that have to do with AI and bias? Go ahead. Well, it has nothing to do with it, actually. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't do my homework assignment right, which is hilarious. Um, I thought it was an icebreaker quote. I didn't realize we were doing one tied back to that. <laughs> so, I picked, so I picked the most random quote that I could, which is, yeah, better off dead as a classic John Cusack movie. But um yeah, so I was sitting here thinking, how can this tie back to the topic? I'm like, well, I can make something up. But now, um, apparently, I need AI to help me uh, read the, the directions. Well, what if, what if, Jason, we say that, sorry, your mom blew up as a result, somebody's life, I'm going to go yeah. for it, blowing up because of an algorithm with yes. a built-in bias that destroyed it. We're not going to talk about destruction. We're not getting into politics. But really, it is on the topic, isn't it? I'm sorry. Isn't that what you say? Yeah, to I think it, well, I mean, I was thinking of basically something around unintended consequences, which yeah. is something that we're going to see here. But um, but I just had to fess up that uh, I totally messed it up. 
<laughs> well, I loved it anyway, and I just thought it was really, really cool. Thank you very much, Eric. Let's see if you did your homework. I never think of it as homework. It's just, it is an icebreaker, but you got to relate to the topic. And we did that. We, we did that with you, Jason. Thank you. Eric has picked a quote from Elwood Blues, played by Dan Aykroyd. I still can't remember how to spell Dan Aykroyd's last name. I always think there's a W in there. There are two Ys in Aykroyd, A-Y-K-R-O-Y-D. The Blues Brothers, of course, 1980 American musical comedy film, and the story is a tale of redemption for paroled convict Jake and his blood brother, Elwood. And here's the quote. If I tell any more about the movie, it'll give away the purpose of the, the, purpose of the quote. There are 106 miles to Chicago. We have a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Eric, you're up. Great quote. I haven't had that from anybody in about eight years on my shows. What does it have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, look, um, it's where we are with AI. It's where we are with the internet, right? It's dark. We're wearing sunglasses. You know, we've got a full tank of gas and some smokes, but do we really know what we're doing yet? No, we don't, right? We're evolving with this technology. So, you know, when I look at how do we use data, how do we use these algorithms? How does it affect society? We're, we're struggling with this as, as the internet grows up, right? It hasn't been that long. You know, maybe I'm just old, but when I was sitting in San Francisco in 95 on Mosaic, right, as Jim mentioned earlier, um, I was showing my friends the internet for the first time, right? So it hasn't been that long, and we're struggling with this new technology as humans. So it's done a lot of great. It's done a lot of harm just to date, right? So we're going to continue to evolve through this, just like we're driving through the night, right, with sunglasses on, refusing to take them off and plowing all the way up to Chicago. So that's the way I think of it. I've used another analogy in the past. It's like a baby with a machete, right? It's going to be really useful once we grow up and learn how to cut through the forest. But we're going to cut ourselves a bunch of time over the next several years. But we'll learn from that process, right? It's not all doom and gloom. It's just like, hey, we're going to we're going to make a few mistakes along the way. And we're going to have to learn from those mistakes and, and, and fix the way we do things. And to quote Jake again, we're on a mission from God. Yes. That's right. That's absolutely right. I'm thinking of the song, I wear my sunglasses mm-hmm. at night. Do you remember that? I, I don't know where that came from. Gentlemen, I want to get into our roundtable, which is very topic specific, our deep dive. Just so you know, I'm going to pick one of your predictions. We'll cover a lot of them. Put it in the chat for you privately for each of you, Jimster, and I've already put your prediction number two. We're going to go to that, not dark side, but some of the negativity. I think we need to get that out of the way because it's a reality check. And what I'd like to do is Jim, take two or three minutes, your discretion, explain it. And Jason and Eric, if you want to comment, this isn't a real deep dive roundtable, but if you want to comment on Jim's, just raise your hand, wiggle a finger at me nicely, and I will call you. I will call you after Jim finishes. So, Jim, let's go to number. I'm using number two. You say bad things. Let's get this out of the way. Like autonomous weapons mistakes like toxic waste waste spills will have to happen before legislation caps up catches up with AI tech because here's the caveat tech moves so fast understanding it is a full-time job I like I should have started with that because that's really what we're that's the premise here, that's what we're talking about it is moving fast Jim go for it so in 2024 DARPA the um, defense oh somebody help me out here Defense Agency 
you know, the future guys at the government. I'll find it for you. Thank you. Um, they're going to be staging a fully autonomous dogfight in the air over Lake Ontario. This is this is planned, scheduled. These they, oh, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Thank you, Bonnie. You're welcome, dear. Um, this is not science fiction anymore. These people are going to be testing out planes flying on their own, uh, being able to pull G's that humans couldn't. So if you've got one of these planes, you can take on 10 human-occupied planes. And this is where, where warfare is going. Uh, it's a done deal. We are excited about being able to have modern technology and modern weaponry, and we're not really good on unintended consequences. The issue is, what happens when something goes wrong? Um, what happens when a, uh, a pedestrian in Arizona runs out into the street and Tesla does not see her fast enough to respond, and now she's dead? So who do we blame? What, where do the lawyers go? Do they go after the software developers? Do they go after the hardware? Do they go after the insurance company that said this will never happen? There's a, there's a lot to unpack. And, and legislation moves slowly, which is good. Um, you know, the, the law grinds slowly but finely, as they say. Yeah. Um, but technology is moving at a breakneck speed. So things are going to happen unintentionally that we're simply going to have to to apologize for i'm sorry your mother blew up but uh then we need to put in some guardrails we need to come up with some ideas about what makes sense and what should be allowed and under what circumstances thank you very much very interesting either of the other panelists eric or jason want to say anything about that jason looks like you've got uh, something Go yeah, ahead, I know we don't want to get deep into like politics, like the either side, but the challenge with the lawmaking around ethical AI is that you're counting on people that you know are really ethical that are <laughs> to go do that. I mean, someone has to, humans have to go make those laws, and that has to you, know, you have to be willing, you know, as a as an individual, based on all of the different things that motivate you to to do the right thing. And that's one of the challenges that it's going to take. I mean, I agree, like it's going to take some pretty big um, things that wake people up in general. And, and I mean, we should talk about who's, whose responsibility is maintaining privacy. Is it the corporation or the consumer? And so there's a, there's a, there's a big topic there as well. But that's one of the challenges is such a hairy topic. And we've already got our own challenges, you know, with, with how we're doing things in general. So, you know, steering clear of, of sides or whatnot, but uh, it, it's going to take some pretty big things that are going to happen over the next several years to make people wake up. Agree. Eric, talk thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I agree with what Jim's saying. It's um, look, there's, there's pros and cons, obviously. Right. Look, I love the idea of, um, of automated war. If it's just a bunch of robots getting wrecked, right. And we can just sit back and watch and say, Hey, who won? No one died. Right. It's not going to work out that way, but it would be nice if we put less people in harm's way and solved our differences and, you know, kind of like a video game format, right? But um, but with all this technology comes extreme responsibility and it's moving so fast. Again, look at what's happened with data. And again, I won't talk politics, but elections and all the debate and, you know, we've got we've to rein this stuff in and we're going to need to legislate. And I agree with what Jason said. Unfortunately, there will be um, some consequences and, and that will... 
that will force legislation uh, and, and force public outcry to say, hey, we got to stop some of this stuff. AI is a very powerful tool. And like all powerful tools, there's a risk. A, a wood chipper is a wonderful tool unless it's in the movie Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. And the idea that life isn't fair takes on a new dimension because it's it's even less fair because, right? Because computer programs, everything we we're talking about, AI and algorithms, somebody put that in. Somebody had an idea, a culture, a background, a thought, a good day or a bad day, had got preferential treatment to be the one who said, yes, we'll only look for yellow or we'll only look for, for plaid. I'm just making this up. Anyway, gentlemen, I want to do a, a blurb from our sponsor and then we will go, Jason, to one of your predictions and let's keep it going. So our special sponsor today is NordVPN. How many people use a VPN? Am I Yes. Anybody have a VPN? Yep. Jason, you? VPN? VPN? I do not. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to tell you about it. NordVPN. With my NordVPN, I can access content from over 59 countries by changing my virtual location. Aha, with one click. I live in the U.S., but with NordVPN, I could be anywhere in the world virtually. I like that. And access content from other regions. This means I can watch. I have a favorite detective show. It's in French. I love to watch it with the English subtitles. I used to speak French. Not Now I just count out backwards in French from five. Uh, I can watch the detective crime show Candice. Renoir. She's wonderful. She's coming out of retirement, raising five children, and goes back to be a detective, and everybody thinks she's silly and stupid. And after a while, they all fall in love with her, and she's the lead detective, and she does a great job. Seasons, two seasons here in the U.S. After that, it's all in Europe. Can't get it. Now I can get it on the French streaming services. Also, if I'm outside the U.S., I still have access to all the U.S. streaming services. I will not miss my favorite streaming shows. Geo restrictions are no longer an issue because you can change your remote location with one click. We all like one click. Super easy to use. Here is the call to action. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash techrev, T-E-C-H-R-E-V. That's NordVPN, N-O-R-D-V-P-N.com slash T-E-C-H-R-E-V. That's the code for my show. Or use the code T-E-C-H-R-E-V to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free. Who doesn't love that? Plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Thank you to the people at NordVPN for sponsoring the show. We're very grateful to you and happy to have you on board. And now let's go back to our predictions. Jason Shepard sent me the following. I'm looking at prediction number two, Jason. Consumers will wake up. Everybody show wake up. Come on, Eric, wake up. <gasps> wake, we're all waking up. The wake impact up. of AI on their lives and start to take their privacy more seriously. I know you touched on that a little bit before. Uh, Jason, let's just go a little deeper on that one, please. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so if you look at technology in general, I mean, you know, good tech disappears and, and it just helps to make our lives better and use your powers for good, not evil. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, you know, a lot more as we go. But um, technology, uh, it really boils down to if you trust the provider of technology uh, for you, you will give up some privacy to get value. You know, and, and so then it's just a fine balance between privacy and value and, and you know, of course, as a company protecting IP um, and we're testing those boundaries. I and mean, you mentioned like you go search for a coffee maker and then your life is about coffee makers for you know, six months and whatnot. Or you're chatting with a friend about some random topic and all of a sudden all of your social ads start popping up around that. Uh, I have that conversation. I'm sure we all do all the time with people. And it's like, oh, that's creepy. But 
but do people immediately go change their settings right then or, or at all? Uh, many people don't because it's not creepy enough, you know, and there are occasional times where you get some sort of value out of it. And, and so, you know, then it comes back, I touched on this, is whose responsibility? Is it the company's responsibility to, to protect your privacy or is the consumer? And, you know, I actually personally think it's both. Um, uh, companies, of course, need to make sh sure it's, um, you know, of course, they have to you know, go against regulations and things like that, like you know, GDPR and stuff like that. But, you know, make it easier for you to manage your privacy, you know, provide you with the right tools and education. But you still have to have the consumers want to leverage those tools and bother to, you know, read the little, you know, consent thing for cookies where most people I think are just like click, 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 instant gratification. And that's, that's that fine balance that I think that, you know, there's going to need to be some pretty big implications or, or big events that happen before people wake up. And, you know, I think we're with the network effect of, of you know, more and more algorithms out there. And it's not just one algorithm being biased, but as that starts to get automated and you see more and more bias, uh, um, you kind of the network effect, it triggers bias in other algorithms. And so it's kind of funny, ironic that my quote actually ended up being meaningful in terms of unintended consequences. <laughs> but I, I think that this multiplication effect is going to be what's really the challenge. And it, as I said, we'll wake up people and then that will help draw drive, I think, the legal side of things as well as it, it's got to be the masses of consumers that start to feel the implications of uh, this technology that today seems pretty convenient, you know, most of the time um, before people really make change. Absolutely. I agree. Any comments from Eric or from Jim on what Jason just shared? Yeah, no, uh, I completely agree with what Jason's saying there. Um, there's going to be more pressure, right? Because people, people want to be, they want people to be held accountable for this stuff. Absolutely. The Jim, tough part, ahead. yeah, the tough part here is um, the call, the, the agencies that are responsible for coming up with privacy legislation have all said that you need to publish your privacy policy online and it needs to be clear and complete and concise. And I think those are mutually exclusive. Yeah. You cannot be clear and complete in a few words. The, the head of the, uh, IOC, the ICO in the UK said that his wife, who's a lawyer, is the only one he knows who read all the way through the Apple terms and conditions. And by the time she got to the bottom to hit accept, her session had timed out. <laughs> it's, it's a conundrum. And was so, there an algorithm that timed out her session, Jim? Undoubtedly. And so now we're looking to uh, Tim Berners-Lee, I should say Sir Tim Berners-Lee, yes. uh, the inventor of the World Wide Web, for his new project, which is the Solid Platform, which allows people to own their own data. And they are building out this way that you have your own data set and, it's, and you allow access. So instead of every app on your phone and every website you visit knowing something about you, you grant it access. So if you should change your address, then you only change it in one place. And those apps and those algorithms that have access to it don't need to be updated because they will always fetch the latest information. It's a great idea. We're just missing the economic value that will drive the industry. Interesting. Any other comments before I move on? About the economic value and the negative reinforcement, you know, something happens to you, like, you know, it's both sides that, to drive it, but, you know. 
Indeed. And, and Jim, I read recently that this new uh, click for accepting cookies, the way it's phrased and with the box so visible on so many sites, it's leading more people to click faster and read less and not realizing that they're accepting more cookies. Uh, very, very interesting. I, I have a question before I go to Eric, and a lot of your predictions are related, so we're going to keep this going and, and go a little deeper. But I have a question for all of you. The title, the way I titled this episode was uh, The Future of Algorithms and AI. Whose bias is it anyway? We haven't really gotten into whose bias is it? Who is the person who did that program? Who was the one who set up that autonomous drive, that autonomous car to recognize a snowflake, a raindrop? a woman in the road, a yellow umbrella, okay? Who who was it? How smart were they? Who trained them? What kind of a day were they? Am I, am I hitting a nerve here? Who trained them? What kind of a day were they having at the time? How much time did they have to build that algorithm? Who else saw it? Who reviewed it? Who said, no, we want snowflakes to not be as prevalent in that algorithm in terms of a recognition because this is going to be used by autonomous cars in California and they ain't got snow for well global warming. You never know. But my, I'm in North Carolina and our nights are 19 to 26 degrees. I thought I moved to the warmer south. Duh. But, but, and then it's 70 degrees the next day. You can't help that. So my point is that if we look into, can, can we go around the table on that? I'd love to get your thoughts on where that's going. I want to do that dive into whose bias is it anyway? We're using them. We're living with them. They're impacting us, as I said, who gets hired, who gets fired, who gets a, a, an organ from a donor, uh, who, who gets a match on Tinder or any of the other algorithm-driven dating companionship sites. So how do we know? Is there a way to just, can anybody answer that or should I just ask all of you? Eric looks like you're bubbling up there. Well, it's, it's a tough question, right? Eric, talk a little bit louder. We've got you a little bit low here. Tough. It's a tough question to answer yeah. because when I see the data scientists going through creating these algorithms, I think a lot of it's unintentional bias, right? It's not intentional bias. Um, it, it could be just based on um, your your gender, your race, your location, um, mm -hmm. your experiences. Well, we're all biased in some way, right? Because sure. of, of our experiences. And these folks are focused on solving a problem and they're doing it the best way that they know how, right? right. And there needs to be more oversight. There needs to be more input into the process. Um, luckily, the stuff that, that I, we've seen, it's things like um, predicting water leak in Brazil, right? So there could be some bias in there, but it's, it's really more machine. So we're not as worried about mm -hmm. how we're affecting um, the people that are using the water. But, but you can see this bias creeping in when it's something a little bit more personal, like uh, video imaging and shopping experiences, we're doing that as well. And and how you recognize when someone needs help on a product. And then you start getting into medical or you start getting into vital systems like transportation, yes. that gets really, really critical. So there has to be checks and balances and there has to be, I think a human element in between the decisioning, um, no matter what, um, to, to be able to take over when things start going askew. Listen, um, Jim, one second. I, I just had a, a thought, maybe a revelation here. Unintended consequences. Blockchain. The first show I did on this series when I started as Technology Revolution in April of 2019, we talked, the topic was, what's for lunch? A tuna and blockchain sandwich. And I had Tony, yeah. Tony 
uh, I can't Tony Costa from Bumblebee on and three other guests. And we talked about the provenance of the fish. Where did the fish, where was it spawned? What kind of water was it? Who fished it out? What did they do with it? How was it stored? How was it packed? How was it delivered to the processing plant? How did it get to my supermarket, either in a can or a seafood department in fresh food? And we're saying we want to know the provenance. What if we had a blockchain for algorithms who, oh my goodness, am I onto something dangerous here? Who wrote the algorithm that decided who got the interview, that decided who got the, the donor liver or heart? Could we ever go there? Jim, Jim, I'm, I'm putting yeah. you on the spot here, but I'm interested. I'd, I'd like to talk about this because I think it's interesting. If we want to know where our tuna fish came from, don't we want to know where our biases came from? We do, but it's just there's multiple layers here. An yeah. algorithm is not a program. Yep. The program is a specific set of instructions. Right. The algorithm is the set of instructions that analyze the data that arrive at a specific conclusion. So somebody decided what the conclusion should be, yes, mm -hmm. no, high, low, whatever the answer is. Somebody else decided which data should be used. Somebody else decided how to cleanse that data so that it could be used. And all of those things together are the algorithm. So that's a lot of provenance to unpack. We have bias in the data itself. Yes. Now, who gets to decide whether or not to include certain bits in that data? Mm -hmm. And not, were they having a good day or a bad day, but what are their values? Yeah. Are they on the left or the right? Are they young or old? Are they, are they Western world or Eastern world? Mm -hmm. it's, it, it, it drives a conversation about humanity's concept of common values. Then you get people who are too clever by half, and the Tesla comes up in this one. Um, they just had a recall because somebody decided to program the car to not stop at a stop sign if it met a half a dozen requirements. There's no other competing cars. There's good visibility. It's a four-way stop. They have the right of way. So the car is allowed to go through the intersection without coming to a complete stop at up to five miles an hour. Okay. And legislators said, oh, no, you have to come to a complete stop. Now, in my opinion, that's going to cause rear-end accidents. Because if I'm coming up to a, a four-way stop, there's a car in front of me creeping up to that line, and there's nobody else there, I expect them to roll through it. I live in California. It's the California roll through stop. Yep. And if they come to a complete stop, I have to slam on my brakes because they're doing something I don't expect. Okay, so who's right? The law, the programmer, the philosophy, or, or was there something in the algorithm that said, you know what, says the car to itself, I've watched humans drive millions of miles and this is how humans behave and I'm going to imitate that bias in the data. There you go. Fascinating. Jason, anything you want to chime in on this? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tricky. So uh, speaking of unintended consequences, I don't think that a lot of individual data programmers really know that they're, uh, that they're trying to you know, beat the system or be you know, biased or whatnot. I think they're just kind of doing their thing. I think a lot of it, you know, to some degree, it comes down to because of our prejudices and our bias as people over the years, that the data that we've collected over the years is inherently biased. And then as a data science, you don't know any better than you program algorithms from said data. It just amplifies it. So that's one. 
Um, another problem, I mean, kind of building off what Jim said, so there's there's these kind of very simple decisions you know, at a stop sign, but then there's like the trolley problem. You guys heard you know, the, the classic trolley problem. You know, if, if I'm on a track and I either go right and hit five people or go left and hit one person, what, what do you do? You know, what if those five people look like they're you know, shifty, you know, whatever, and then you got a, like a nun on the other side, you know, going back to Blues Brothers. And she's pregnant. Yeah, and she's pregnant. So, so it's like, <laughs> we weren't going to do politics. <laughs> no, <laughs> so there's, there's, there's kind of like the just completely, I don't know any better. Um, and then there's the really, really tough ethical decisions where you have to make a choice how you program it. And then it all goes back to checks and balances, as I think Jim said, and, and, and oversight over that. And then as a company, your culture, your, you, know, you have to be ethical. You know, otherwise, you're going to consciously make that choice. Well, then we get into after you've made that choice, well, then it's the system around insurance you know, and, and legal and things like that. And it's all in equilibrium that's going to have to happen over time. And we're going to, as, as I think uh, you know, uh, Eric was saying, we're going to make some missteps along the way. You know, It's a little dark out there wearing sunglasses. But this is why it's so complex is everybody in the ecosystem around you know, trust and ethics and you know, money and follow the money and all that. You know, it's, it's, it's complicated. It is. And that's a perfect segue. Eric, I want to read your second prediction and then and ask you to embellish that because I think that's where we are right now. You say the public and civil rights organizations will apply more pressure to companies' use of AI, forcing companies to be held accountable and transparent. I just want to interject that, but whatever you're going to say, Eric, go ahead. Yeah, it, it, it's along those same lines. Look, yep. um, technology is a tool, right? Blockchain's a tool. Where the abuses come are human or what humans do with or without those tools, right? So, so the public and the civil and organizations that protect the public, uh, they're already doing this, right? Stepping up and saying, wait a minute, we need more transparency into what decisions are being made, how these tools are being used. We want more accountability for when things go wrong. Um, go back to your uh, sustainability or, or tuna fish example. Mm-hmm. Look, there, there's been abuses just in the labeling of sustainable food, right? It has nothing to do with blockchain or accountability. It's just, hey, someone got a label that was able to smack it on a can of tuna and it's mm-hmm. not verifiable or even true, right? Um, mm-hmm. I've been watching the show Dope Sick, right? Talk about Oxycontin and the labeling for the FDA. Again, technology is there to help us as humans evolve and, and, and do good things with it, but bad things can be done too, and we need oversight, we need accountability, and I think there needs, there obviously will have to be legislation to say things like in, in, in autonomous vehicles, uh, you will always have a human be able to override the AI, right? In weapon systems in aviation, in railways, right? On and on. Um, and it needs to be legislated. There's, look, there's been some legislation around Automatic Decisioning Accountability Act for government AI. Mm-hmm. I think you'll see more of that in the public sector over time. But to Jim's point, um, it's going to take time for the legislature folks to catch up, to understand this. And, you know, I, I kind of laugh. I think back to the before the internet hit in the 90s, you remember all the protection around video games and violence? And we went through all the rating systems and then the internet hit and we just kind of did none of that. It just kind of just went super fast. 
Um, and we thought it, some, you know, some of us thought some of that was ridiculous, but now as you see things move really fast, it's like, whoa, how do we keep up with this pace of technology and avoid running into that barrier with our sunglasses on while we're smoking a cigarette on the way to Chicago, right? Yes. And, and I think it's going to be this, this constant yin and yang of, of, of learning and improving and failing a little bit and improving till eventually we normalize out to the next, the next set of problems comes, comes our way. And so it's a natural point. evolution of tech. And yeah. it's not just your point, not just the velocity, it's the volume of the data, right? It's not just coming fast. There's so much of it bombarding us. I want to sneak in another prediction. We're almost out of time. Jim, we're going to keep going on that negative side because I think we have to. You say bad actors will create algorithms. Uh, Jason, this is intentional consequences, not unintentional. Bad actors will create algorithms that can game institutional AI, probably happening already, mm -hmm, that will be nearly impossible to detect except for their, let's get that word in there, consequences. Jason, you picked a fabulous quote, whether you did your homework uh, or not. It's <laughs> I know, and, and it's just perfect for this topic. Jim, go ahead. We've got about five and a half minutes left. Jim, just give us, who are these bad actors and how bad are they? And do we know who they are? We do not know who they are, although we know where there are pockets of them in foreign countries to start with um, and in criminal organizations to finish with. There are people who are out to do evil, evildoers, and they have access to powerful tools as well. And I have family members who are in uh, high-end cybersecurity, and they say, you know, on the one hand, some of it is very straightforward because you've got 14-year-old boys who are programming stuff just to see if they can. You know, in the old days, you'd take a baseball bat out the car window and knock over uh, mailboxes. Today, you get a script kitty who's, say, trying to knock over a bank. Well, if I have blockchain and I have crypto and I have time on my hands and evil intent, well, you can, you can fill in the blanks. And then there's the uh, possibility of disrupting a country's infrastructure by having my defense AI try to catch your attack AI, and that's, that's where warfare is going. The blowing up machines and buildings is going to be laughably passe. It is systems attacking systems. Mm -hmm. Laughably passe. Ouch, that hit a couple of nerves. <laughs> Eric, you're nodding. You want to chime in uh, here? Well, Jim's totally right. Like, look, we've, we've blown stuff up or someone's blown some stuff up by spinning a centrifuge, right? Uh, pretty creative stuff. But yeah, it, there's going to be bad actors. There always has been. Um, mm -hmm. And look, you can get into the security debate, but the, the bottom line is you've got to be, you've got to be faster than the other guy running with honey when you're being chased by a bear, right? So you've got to put your stuff in place. And again, that's the evolution. That's the spy versus spy. Get the black spy, get the white spy, and they go back and forth. They're going to constantly leapfrog each other, and we, we got to stay ahead of it. We do. Faster and faster and faster. Jason, you want to get the last word on this one? Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously it's the automation that, that comes into play um, that is a multiplier effect. And, you know, it's, it's going to come down to, you know, AI versus AI, as I agree. Uh, and, you know, I look at it as with these types of technologies that produce a network effect, people start going after the nervous system versus, you know, limb. Like we're saying, you know, blowing up a building, you know, passe, you'll go after the core infrastructure that takes everything out. 
And, and that's what's scary. And you can do that with bots. I mean, gone are the days where I email individually, Hey, I'm a Prince of Egypt. And if you send me 15, you know, I've got $15,000 for it. You can automate. Wait, oh, I, that was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was Kevin Bacon forwarding all these emails, six degrees of separation. But, um, that was uh, it's scary. And then, you know, it's just, you know, I go back to the equilibrium. So there's nefarious actors. There's just kind of things of, you know, people not meaning to, but it happens. Um, you know, it, it's going to take some time. I mean, you look at, uh, I was just thinking you know, while we were talking is uh, lawyers going after when people can program a car to do certain things, no longer are you going to go after the individual with the car. You're going to go after the company because they have the most money. It's follow the money. And so, and it's almost like I had this thought, ambulance chasers are going to go turn into algorithm chasers. And, and they're going to start to, to go after whoever programmed things. And that's going to just send rifts throughout the whole way of things working through all of these different balanced things. And so the legal side, including nefarious legal people that want to go you know, make a bunch of money off these things, it's, it's, it's going to get interesting. And think about this. How would you feel? How would anybody feel if that 14, maybe not for, let's say a 25-year-old somebody, uh, what do you call it, a, a coder kitty, is sitting there and doing something and they learn that their algorithm caused a problem, a war, a car accident, a death, the wrong person getting an organ for life-saving. What if they found out? We, we don't even think about the consequences for the person who did it if they found out what happened. They didn't. Jason, intend those consequences, but it did. I, I think we need to do a part two later in the year. We got one minute to close. That's why you need I that wanted, oversight, that human uh, oversight absolutely. as a safeguard. That's right. Human oversight over human unintended consequences and humans coding algorithms. I know Jim wants to say, but we're out of time. Jim Stern, <laughs> we need to do a part two. Jason Shepard Zadita, so happy to see you. Eric Simone, I have a quick homework assignment for the three of you. I want you to wag your finger and on, I'm going to just wag your finger like this. It's a no, no, no wag. And we're just going to tell our audience, if somebody tells you the future is here already, you go on the count of three, no, 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 no. That was yesterday's future and today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're just doing our best to make it a better one. Bonnie D signing off. Everybody wave goodbye. Don't go away, gentlemen. I want to say thank you. Bye, LinkedIn. Bye, Facebook. Bye, Voice America. Bye, Aaron. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Bye.